are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to read in your hearing this morning, Psalm chapter 40, Psalm chapter 40, and spend a little time out of this blessed portion of the Word of God. And let me mention even before I read it, there are several of the Psalms that are called Messianic Psalms. There's nothing difficult about that, really. Messianic Psalms have to do with the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're mostly prophetical, speaking of the coming to earth of the Son of God and of all of his great redemptive work and his coming to rule and to reign in final times upon this earth, the Messianic Psalms. And I'm reading one of those this morning. Psalm chapter 40 is a psalm that has to do about Christ. You say, how could it have to do with Jesus when it's in the Old Testament? All the Bible has to do with Jesus. All the Bible. He's the theme of the Bible. His picture's on every page. His blood stains this book all the way through. This whole Bible, Jesus said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Psalm chapter 40, a, a messianic psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise under our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. What a beautiful expression. Thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. O let thy loving kindness 
and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about already to innumerable things, things without number mentioned in this psalm. His wonderful thoughts toward us cannot be tabulated. They're innumerable. So the evils that encompass about God's people, innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. You know, I said this a messianic psalm, and I've been reading it and thinking about it a little bit and meditating in the psalm, and I came to this expression, Mine iniquities have I taken hold upon me. And I said, and you say too, how could that be said of Jesus? Well, because he took mine, and he took yours, and he made them his. Who he, who had no sin, took mine, took yours, stood in the sinner's place, put his hand over his mouth like a guilty person, answered not a word, stood without speaking, because he stood in my place, and I have no defense. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I'm not able to look up. They're more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste and help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a word of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Now verses 2 and 3. I want to concentrate upon for just a few minutes this morning. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise under our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. In reading uh, some of the comments of men of God of many, many years ago, one great writer on the 40th Psalm called these two verses the record of from the mire to the choir. The psalmist speaks of his feet being in the miry clay. And then he said, He has lifted me, brought me out, and put a new song in my heart. So maybe you could say, this is the record of all of us who know him, of being brought from the mire to sing in God's great universal choir the song of redemption. From miry clay to a new song in the heart of a child of God. I said it's a messianic psalm. David writes the psalm, it is about Jesus Christ, but it describes human experiences of David. It may refer to the greatest trial in David's life, I guess. And David had many of them. David was not perfect, 
But in the eyes of God, he was. For God said, he is a man after my own heart. He had sins. He had imperfections. He had many trials. Many problems. He walked through many deep and dark valleys. It may be that in that awful hour of his life, when his own son, the flesh and blood of his own loins, said, I'm going to usurp this kingdom. I knew a better job of being king than my father, whom God had anointed. And Absalom sat in the gate. You know the familiar story. Won the hearts of people with his words smoother than butter. And finally, in a great act of usurpation, he tried to take the throne from his father. It was a dark hour. I see the old king leave the palace with his family and other children, his servants, his loyal friends, bent and broken, weeping as he goes. He climbs the hills and goes to the desert place for refuge, while his own son seeks to take the throne from him. It might have been, I say, the darkest hour of his life. It might have been then when David said, Oh, I was in a deep and horrible pit. I was in the miry clay, but he brought me up. He established my goings. He put me back in the palace. He gave me a song of praise to sing. It might have been in that dark hour when he said these words. It is typical, typical, of course, of Jesus and his resurrection. In another psalm, Jesus himself said, Thou will not suffer thy holy one to seek corruption. And Jesus said, Thou will not leave me in the horrible pit of the grave. And I will not leave my soul in Sheol, Hades, the bottomless pit. Thou wilt bring me out. And God did. On the third day, he conquered death and arose and came out from the tomb. This is a psalm that speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want us to look at it from a personal aspect this morning. You know, our salvation might be pictured as a great and beautiful diamond. Diamonds have many facets they're called. As you turn them and view them, they sparkle in myriads of ways. And a diamond is the most precious stone in the world. And our salvation is like a beautiful diamond. You turn it one way, and you see what we're saved from. You turn it another way, and it sparkles to us what we are saved by. Oh, saved from hell, from sin, from condemnation, from a miry pit. Saved by the indescribable, matchless grace of our Savior, the Son of God. You turn it another way, and you see what we're saved for, to serve, to magnify. The psalmist said in this psalm, let the Lord be magnified. That's the glorious, happy responsibility of every Christian, is to magnify the Lord in his life. You turn it another way, you see what we're saved unto. Like Deuteronomy 6 says of the elect people of the Old Testament, he brought us out that he might bring us in. Oh, we always talk about his bringing us out, bringing us out, bringing us out. 
He went into the marketplace of sin, gave his life, purchased our redemption with his blood, brought us out. But all the Bible is filled with his bringing us in, in the Lord. Oh, so much could be said about what that means to be in Christ Jesus. Some years ago, when I was studying for my own heart's needs, the little book of Ephesians, I took a red pencil, and every time in chapter 1, for instance, it said, In, in whom we have redemption. In whom, in him, in him, over and over. And I think right at two dozen times, I made a little red circle around the in, in Christ, in one chapter. All the glories of being in Christ Jesus, one of the facets of this beautiful diamond of salvation. But now let's look at this verse. David said, he brought me also up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he's put a new song in my heart. I want to say, I want to ask you even now, do you have the song? One old writer said, firm footing, footing on the rock, means fine tuning a song. That melody ought to be in the heart of every Christian. He has brought me up out of a, a horrible pit, out of the mountain clay, set my feet upon the rock, and established my goings, and has put a new song in my heart, even praise under our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Let's see a few simple, wonderful things about what the Lord has done for us in these two verses. First of all, we read, He brought me up. I'm glad the psalmist didn't say, He drew me up. Oh, He did. With cords of love, He came to my rescue. But it's better than that. He brought me out. That means he came into the pit where I was. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. I wish I had time this morning to think of that pit. Pits are often mentioned, mentioned in the Bible. Sometimes references to wells, water wells in the Old Testament. Same word is used for the word pit. The word Sheol in the Old Testament is a great abyss. A great open opening, a great horrible pit. Hades means a bottomless pit. And the psalmist said, he brought me out. He just didn't beckon me out and draw me out. He came where I was and he brought me out. That's what the psalmist is saying. He brought me out of a horrible pit. I think of the pit of Joseph. That good young man who dreamed dreams after God, upon whose life God's hand came in such unusual and remarkable way. His jealous brothers one day took this young man, loved by his father, in an unusual way, put him in a pit. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 24, there was no water in it. It is a picture of a pit in which sinners, unredeemed, unsaved people are. 
That's what David's thinking about. He brought me up. He came where I was, down into the pit. He brought me up out of the horrible pit. I can't describe how horrible it is. I've read of men who tried. This awful pit called hell, called eternal condemnation, called the lake of fire, this place of the unsaved, this eternal penitentiary for the godless. What an awful pit it is. That's what David's saying. He brought me up out of the pit. This horrible pit is pictured in Jeremiah. Jeremiah the weeping prophet. The one who loved people and loved God. Who said there's a fire in my bones and tears in my eyes. Oh, that my head were a fountain of waters. I might weep over the hurt of the daughter of my people. He said, one day they slapped his face. They treated him like, somewhat like they later treated Jesus before he was crucified. They slapped his face. They plucked his beard. They laughed at him. And they put him in a pit. And the Bible says, there was mire in the pit. And the Bible said, poor Jeremiah sunk down in the mire. And the longer he was in it, the deeper he sunk. You know, friend, that's the way it is with the unsaved life. The longer you're in it, the deeper you're going. Down into the mire, Jeremiah sunk in this awful, horrible pit with stench and awful order and unpleasant surroundings. They're down in the mire. You know, the Bible speaks of the bottomless pit in Revelation over and over again. That's what David's talking about. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. He didn't pull him out. He came down to where he was, and he brought him out. It's like the beautiful story of the Samaritan. You know, others passed by, but the Samaritan came where he was. He laid hands on him. He ministered to him. That's what my Lord did. He came like slaves, bound in the slave market. He came as one, took my place, paid my price, and arm in arm we walk out together. He didn't just pull me out. Thank God he brought me out. I've told him an actual story here uh, before in this church, but I was near Cincinnati, Ohio, years ago, listening to the news. Uh, on the television screen at the, the night, evening hour, and there were actual pictures of an overturned boat in which a man and his brother and this man's son were involved in the overturned boat. Two men's head came up out of the water. They were rescued. There's the overturned boat. No boy to be found. Oh, my, what a sad scene it was. And they towed that boat into the shore. There were medics there, fire trucks and ambulances and all this sort of thing. And many policemen, two men had been rescued. One man was saying, where's my boy? My boy is gone. We can't find him. They finally, when they got that boat to shore, one policeman stripped off his jacket and his shirt and his shoes he dived into water, and into that boat overturned. And um, there were compartments in this good-sized boat. Down in that boat, this policeman swam underwater. And in a moment or two, he came up with a miracle. 
A boy was in that boat and there were air pockets. For these few moments, he'd been able to keep his head out of the water. And a policeman came up and lifted up a boy and said, I found him. And I saw that night on the television, I saw a big old policeman standing. He handed one policeman, handed the boy to another policeman. And that big old policeman wiped his tears and handed the boy to his weeping father. That's what I'm talking about. That policeman went in to where the boy was in trouble. That's what Jesus did. He didn't just pull us out, thank God. He brought us out. He brought me out of a horrible pit. He set my feet upon a rock. Oh, I love this. The ground upon which I stand as a believer is not shaky ground. It is a Gibraltar. It is the one of whom Jesus spoke himself when he said, Upon this rock. That rock is Christ. This rock, I build my church and on that rock. God has placed Tom Malone, set my feet upon a rock. You know, I'm glad for this. This is a shaky old world. It's, un it's uh, unstable. Everything about it's unstable. All of society, unstable. But thank God my feet are upon a rock. No question about it. Jesus said there were two men building houses. One built his house upon sinking sand. Winds blew, the floods came, the sands moved, and the great was the fall of that house. One man built his house upon a rock. The winds blew vehemently, Jesus said. The floods came. The storm arose, but the house stood. Why? It built on a rock. Lives founded on the rock, Christ Jesus. Our lives that stand. They're safe. They're secure. They're founded upon the eternal rock, Christ Jesus. Set my feet upon a rock. Time doesn't permit it, but I always think when I think of the rock, Christ Jesus. I think of Reverend A.M. Toplady. That Englishman walked along the roads of England many years ago, Bible in hand, storm arose. It looked bad. Darkness covered the earth where he was. He fled into the woods and found a huge jutting boulder. And back under it, he found refuge. And the storm blew trees around everywhere. And while he was back in there, Bible in hand, A.M. Augustus M. Toplady uh, got the... Got the idea and the message for rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Oh, yes. He not only brought me out, he put my feet, he set my feet on a rock. Oh, he did more than that. He not only set us up and on a rock. But he said he established my goings. You know, that's why I believe when the Lord really saves. Now, I'm not talking about getting religion. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about having some sort of emotional experience. I'm not talking about finishing the catechism. I'm not talking about submitting to baptism. I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about being made a new creature in Christ Jesus. When that happens... Your goings, your footsteps are established, and you're just as sure of heaven 
as God is on his throne. And he established my goings. You know, the psalmist said in another psalm, He holds up the goings in thy past that my footsteps slip not. I reading where one great writer was trying to establish the truth of this little verse. He established my goings. He'd been in a place holding a meeting. A young man had been saved. But like a lot of us, when we get saved, we don't know Bible truth. We don't know really what all the Lord has done for us. We know enough, so we're so thrilled and happy. But we don't know how he keeps and keeps. And how he just holds on to us. It's not a matter of our holding on. It's a matter of his holding on. We don't know that. This young man, when we first get saved, this young man had just been saved. The preacher was leaving from the railroad station on the train. The young man was disturbed. I know I'm saved, but how am I going to hold out? How am I going to continue? How can, uh, how am I going to be true to the Lord? How is this going to work? And he came and he knocked on the glass of the passenger car where the preacher sat. He was leaving. The preacher had won him to the Lord. The preacher reached in his pocket and he took out a pencil, and he put it in his hand, and the boy was looking through the glass. No words exchanged, and uh, he tried to balance it, but it wouldn't balance. And it kept falling, and the young man stood outside. The train began to move, and the preacher, with a beautiful countenance and a smile because he knew what it was all about, the young man kept seeing the pencil fall. It's, uh, it was not established, but then as the train pulled out, the preacher reached and held it in his hand and smiled at the young man, and the young man smiled at him. I see it now. I see it. I don't have to stand alone. He holds me there. He's established my goings. That's what David's talking about. He's established my goings. Now listen. Oh my, this is so great. Not only did he bring us out and holds us up, but he gave us a new song. Someone has said he tuned us up. You know, I'm a singer. Oh, not the kind of singing you like to hear, but the kind God likes to hear. He has put a new song in my heart. I never knew it before until I met him. He has put a new song in my heart. Oh, you say, preacher, I can't sing. Troubles overwhelm me. Oh, yes. Yes, you can. I know some folks who've sung, even in the midst of affliction and trial. He put a new song in my heart, not just in my mouth. He put it in my heart, and it's there forever. I, I like to think of Paul and Silas, Acts chapter 16, when they were thrust in jail for doing good. Christians are not persecuted for doing wrong. They're persecuted for doing good. They're chastised for doing wrong. And the poor and Silas in jail, their backs are bloody, their feet and hands are locked in stocks. They are uncomfortable. Their feet upon the wall and hands, sitting barely upon a cold, dirty stone floor. The midnight hour comes. God's about to destroy that jail. But before he did, God heard this song. He heard old Paul and Silas at the midnight hour singing. 
singing a duet. Bloody backs, down feet and hands, set it north of the whole city like common gale birds and prisoners. Yet the midnight hour, the glorious song came. They sang praises to God. It doesn't startle me one bit that the jailer got saved. You know, he never heard anybody sing with their backs beaten to shreds and feet and hands locked in stocks. And uh, in a prison at midnight, he'd heard them curse. He'd heard the consumptive cough of the dying. He'd heard the bitter vilification of those who put them there. He'd heard them blaspheme God. But here he hears people singing God's song. Oh, what a song. It's the song of, of Moses and the Lamb. It's the song of the Lamb slain without, uh, from the foundation of the world. You know, you can sing that song. You've got that song in your heart. You need to let it go. Many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. When they hear your song, it's like the little bird someone described at a railroad station sitting on a stack of luggage was a little cage and a bird in it. There was the whistle of the train, the spewing of the steam, the rush of multitudes, baggage wagons, the farewells, tears, laughter, every kind of noise. But a little bird, oblivious to it all, opened his little mouth, stretched his little throat, and in such confusion sang his beautiful little song. That's what God's done for us. Oh, yes, inside of the open grave, a song. Oh, yes, in the valley of sorrow, a song. Oh, yes, in the midst of trials, a song. Oh, yes, in the midst of persecution, a song. He put a new song in my heart. Now then, you know the, the upshot, so to speak, of this, of all of this is we need to look up and we need to listen up. We've been brought up and set up and established. We need to listen up. You know, I said I'm a member of the choir. Not the choir that sings to men, but this great choir of whom all have a song in their heart. And you know how it is with a choir. That choir looks at that leader. And uh, you know how it is with the orchestra. They look at that leader and they sing and they play. That's the way it ought to be. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. I read of a great conductor one time. Oh, he had an ear. He, he knew his orchestra. It had scores of pieces in it. It was a great orchestra. One day the piccolo player, little instrument. One day the piccolo player in practice got tired and he said, I, I won't play this one. I'll sneak a little rest. And so the orchestra went through the piece and the conductor conducted it and all eyes were upon him. But when he finished it, the conductor laid down his baton and said, Where's the piccolo? It wasn't there. All oh, there were bugles. There were instruments. There were strings by the hundreds. But one song was not being sung. Where's my piccolo? What's wrong with my piccolo player, he said. I wonder if sometimes the blessed Lord, the master of our souls, 
doesn't look down and say, where's the song? I put it in your heart. Why aren't you singing it? It put a new song in my heart. I never shall forget an experience a few years ago, one of the most touching things. I knew these people. I preached in the church of this wonderful man of God down in Texas years ago. He had an 18-year-old boy. Boy, he's a sweet boy. I mean, he's the kind of 18-year-old boy you love to meet and you become fascinated with. He loved to sing. He had his little PA system of his own. He had a beautiful voice God had given him, and he used to sing also beautifully. But one day the sad news came. This boy is very ill, suddenly unexpected. His preacher father was my friend. He said to me, Tom, it broke my heart. I loved my boy. He said my heart was set on him. He said he'd sing and I'd weep. I loved him so much. But he said the doctor said he's very sick. I don't, we don't think he's going to make it. We know he won't make it unless it's operated on. We don't know that he'll make it then. They said, uh, preacher, you don't have to talk to your boy and you find out if he's willing for us to do this very delicate, very painful, very serious operation. Boy said to his dad, yes, dad. Whatever the doctors say, whatever you say, only dad. One thing I want. I want you to work it out with the doctors. I want you to be there. I don't want you to leave. He said, Dad, I want you to promise me you'll not leave me till it's all over. I mean, Dad, till it's all over. Promise me. I want to be, I want you to be where at times I can see you. This dad with a broken heart said to his son, Son, you can depend on it. I'll be there. He told the doctor, said, if this is going to happen, i got to be there. They said, well, all right, Reverend, we'll work it out so you can be there. He said, I told my boy I'd never leave him until it's all over. They performed the operation. A beautiful 18-year-old boy died. They took his body from the operating room. They took it to the funeral parlor. And my preacher friend rode in the car that carried the body of his son. Funeral director said, now, preacher, you go home. We'll take care of everything. Don't need to worry. He said, no, I can't go home. I made a promise. I said to my boy, son, I'll be here till it's all over. For two days and nights, he stayed in the funeral home. There's a beautiful boy laid out in the casket, 18 years of age. His father stood at the casket and looked at his face dropped his tears upon the body of his boy and said, Son, I kept my promise to you. I'm staying with you till it's all over. They closed the casket. He helped carry it to the grave. He stayed till the last shovel full of dirt and turned and said, Son, I stayed with you till the last inch of the way. That's the kind of Savior we have. Oh, yes. He is one, thank God, who's with us every inch of the way. Shall we pray? Oh, dear Father, we thank you this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, how we thank you for him that was spotless and sinless and glorious, 
full of grace and truth, holy, never knew vileness, corruption, iniquity, but came and stood in the mire to rescue us. Oh, Father, our minds are baffled. Our hearts are all jitter when we think about the wonderful love and grace of our Lord and our Savior. Bless thy truth to our hearts today. Lord, if there's some precious soul in this building who's not saved, Spirit of God, speak to them. May they be saved today. And Lord, bless the hearts of your people. If there's one of your own who's stopped singing, may they be tuned up again today. May the song come forth. Oh, do thy work, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.